Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Good evening to, to all of you. and uh, I've been sharing, for those who don't know me, my name's Eni, Eni Swart. There's my lovely family. And um, they, they're over there in the, in the kids' church. And uh, I've been sharing recently about the life of Elijah from uh, 1 Kings. And this morning I shared, um, started sharing from 1 Kings 19 uh, about Elijah's trip to the mountain of God and, and all that happened then, with the, what we learned from it. And I, I wanted to continue. Um, and I'll read the, the passage in a little moment's time. Uh, I mentioned this morning that I, I once read a, a famous well-known novel writer. Uh, he was giving advice on how to write novels and how to write specifically believable characters. And he was saying, you've got to write characters um, who see themselves as the protagonist of their story. And I was, they center stage, the spotlight, they must, they must act as though they center stage, the spotlight is on them. And everyone else who comes into their life is just supporting actors and actresses to tell their story. He says, um, because that's how people are, most people. And he's right. <laughs> most people see themselves as the leading men and ladies, the heroes of their own story. And even when we relate to God's story, we tend to, we tend to do that. We tend to think, I invite God into my story. I invite God to become part of my story. When the reality is actually God invites me to become part of his story. And um, that's an amazing thought actually when you stop to think about it. You know, we all want meaning in our lives. We all want, all want our lives to, to mean something. No one wants to live a life that's meaningless, that, that's, you know, that, that's pointless, that you might as well not live. Um, and it's amazing how when we serve God and start experiencing that, that mega shift from me being the center of my own life to God being the center of my life, from me inviting God into my story to become part of my story to me responding to God's invitation to become part of His story. How much deeper the meaning of our lives become and how much, I mean, in, in ways that we cannot even imagine or control. And, and, and um, one of the things I just want to highlight from the story of Elijah that we're going to read or the portion of the Elijah story that we're going to read tonight is exactly that. Without Elijah realizing it, and without Elijah trying to accomplish it, his life had meaning on levels that he, I don't even know if he realized, realized it, because he was serving God, and he'd become part of the divine drama, the cosmic story, his story, not Elijah's story, God's story, his story, history. Is God's story. And uh, so I'm just going to read this, this portion of Scripture to you, and then I, uh, um, I'm going to discuss it uh, along those lines. So 
It says in 1 Kings 19, I'm going to read from verse 7 to, to 18, it says, The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him, that's Elijah, and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And like I said, I preached about that this morning, so if you want to sort of catch up, you're welcome to download it and listen to the sermon. Uh, verse 8 says, So he got up and ate and drank, and strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Um, some of you would think like Horeb, uh, what, what mountain is that? It's, it's more commonly known by another name, Mount Sinai. So the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, where Moses met with God and where God gave the Ten Commandments, the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. We made a covenant with Israel and we actually made Israel a nation. The mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and have put uh, your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Man, that must be a strong wind. A wind that can break a rock is like a serious wind. <laughs> so the wind tore the, and, and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And the, uh, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. The, the Old King James Version said a, a still small voice. When Elijah heard it, the gentle whisper, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and, um, and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You know, <laughs> I wonder why Elijah, I, I, I don't think he got why God asked him the same question again, you know. Um, and he gave exactly the same answer as though God, you know, as, you know, is, is, um, as Parkinson's or something, and that he, he's not going to remember what, what he just said to him, you know. I don't think, I don't think Elijah, Alzheimer's, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Alzheimer's. And uh, I don't think, sorry, I don't think, um, Elijah was quite getting what God was getting at. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of, over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of uh, Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael and Elisha. Uh, will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve, or literally, it's, it's in the perfect tense, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So um, what I just want to show you is, uh, I mean, there's a lot of what, what, what happens on just the the, the, the immediate, the obvious level here in, in, in Elijah's story. 
Um, but there's a lot that parallels Moses, Moses' life. And I don't even think that Elijah was aware of this. Okay? So uh, this morning I discussed what happens just sort of on a practical level um, and, and g- gave some insights from that. But even though Moses is not mentioned in, at all explicitly in this passage, I'm going to show you that he's all over the place, implied. Okay, firstly, Elijah is actually presented as a second Moses, and then Elijah and Moses both receive um, the word of the Lord in a, in a very special way, and then Elijah and Moses uh, both thought they stood alone. So let's just uh, look at those um, parallels, firstly, between Elijah and Moses. And the, writers of, the writer of Kings intentionally records this episode in Elijah's life in a way that reflects the experience of Moses. And, and you're going to see now that there are lots and lots of parallels. And here's just a, a tip. Um, when, when you're reading the Bible, if you really want to understand the Bible, make sure that, well, let me put it differently. The better you know the Bible, the whole Bible, the better you'll understand every individual part of it. Because the Bible, the, the, the book that the Bible most references is the Bible. Okay? But it does it subtly because it assumes those reading it know it well enough so that the, the, the references will be picked up. But so often we read it, the Old Testament and, or, or, or even the New Testament and there are subtle references and we miss them completely and we miss the richness and the depth of what the Bible is saying. I, I did my, my master's a couple of years ago, and I, I did it on, on Luke Acts, um, which were both written by Luke, and how he used Isaiah. And he explicitly quotes it 11 times, Isaiah, where he says, and as Isaiah the prophet says, and then he you know, gives a quote. But he references it, apart from, he, 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 those are explicit quotes, but with implicit delusions, I counted more than 120 just to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. One Old Testament book. In the book of Luke and, uh, Luke and Acts, more than 120 times. But they're so subtle, many of them, that you'll miss them if you don't know the book of Isaiah very well. Now, this, same with these references to, to Moses, you know. So here's my, here's my tip, you know, if you want to read the Bible well and really get the most out of it. Start by reading for the big picture. Don't start with the little details, you know. Reading the Bible and understanding it is like building a, you know, 2,000-word piece puzzle. The little pieces of the puzzle don't make sense outside of the big picture. And so often we take those little pieces and we agonize about them and we study them in all kinds of depth and we look at them and, like, what does this verse mean? (laughs) But we don't have the big picture. But as soon as you take that little piece and you put it within the big picture, all of a sudden it makes sense. All of a sudden, it opens up to you and like, ah, oh, that's what it was. And it was a piece of a tree or something like that. Okay? So I, w- I want to encourage you, read for the big picture first, and then you'll get stuff like this. So, uh, firstly, both Moses and Elijah experienced the power of God on a mountain only to come down and find the people in idolatry. Remember, uh, Moses went up Mount Sinai, Mount Oreb, the mountain of God, to receive the tablets with the Ten Commandments. And what happened when he came down? Aaron had made for the people a golden calf. 
and they were worshipping the golden calf and they'd had a festival and they were having some other sexual orgy in line with what they'd learned about how the, the gods in Egypt were worshipped. And he was so angry that he took the tablets and he smashed them on the ground and he had to go up and get a second, you know, a second uh, pair, you know, a duplicate pair. Um, similar with, with Mount Carmel. And... Um, Elijah was on Mount Carmel, and he experienced the power of God. The fire of God came down, consuming the sacrifice, uh, the wood on the altar, even the, the stones of the altar and the water that they'd thrown over it and the ground underneath it. Uh, and then Elijah prays for rain on the mountain, and the rain comes after three and a half years of drought. And then he outruns for 27 kilometers um, Ahab's chariot. He runs in front of his chariot all the way to uh, Jezreel. I can just see him like running with that beard splitting, you know, one sort of going this way and that way, you know, running the chariot in the power of the Lord, you know, but serious power that experience. And then Jezebel says, may the gods, not the Lord. And he thought that was why he was going to Jezreel, the enemy's camp, you know, because he thought now there's going to be like a massive reform in Israel. He's won the great victory. Now all the people are going to turn. Even Ahab and Jezebel are going to turn to the Lord. Or at least the people are going to overthrow them and, and, and they're going to have a new king and queen. Nothing of the sort. There weren't even um, guys, you know, protesting with placards saying, you know, away with Baal, we want Yahweh back. Nothing of the kind, you know. <laughs> Everything. I mean, they'd said on the mountain when they saw the fire, the Lord, he is God. But down in the rough and tumble of, of everyday life, when he came back to it, they didn't want to stand up for the Lord. And, and Baal worship was still the official religion of Israel. So idolatry. You know, with, with Moses, it was with a golden calf. With uh, Elijah, it was with Baal. Both Moses and Elijah complained that they'd had enough and asked God to take their lives. We didn't read that portion in 1 Kings 19 verse 4. But right after... Um, Elijah receives this threat from Jezebel. He runs. He runs for his life. And, and I find it ironic because, <laughs> you know, he runs away. He clearly wants to stay alive, but then he gets to the broom bush and he says, now I want to die. You know, <laughs> why, why, why didn't you just stay and let, you know, Jezebel kill you if you wanted to die, you know. You know, we, we can be so inconsistent, you know, as human beings, you know. We don't know what we want, you know. I want to live. I must get away from Jezebel. You know, now I want to die. You know, please kill me, God. Anyway, but the same thing happened to Moses. Moses um, also said, God, I've had enough. These people, these people of yours, your people, <laughs> these people that you've imposed on me, you know, you know I, I've had enough of them. You know, I don't want to live anymore. Um, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to lead them anymore. I, I, I give up. You can read in uh, the scriptures are up there, Numbers 11, verse 15. Um, and then uh, through Moses, God provided food and water for Israel for 40 years in the desert. That's in Exodus 17, the, the manna and, and stuff. And now he provides Elijah with food and water that carries him for 40 days through the desert. 40 days and nights that he travels um, through the desert. Um, both Moses and Elijah went to the mountain of God, to Mount Horeb. And I was saying this morning how Mount Zephon in the north was, was 
the mount, mountain associated with Baal. And here Elijah goes in a completely the opposite direction. He goes south, way outside of, of Israel to, to the mountain of God. Um, both Moses and Elijah experienced God in wind, earthquake, and fire. Let me maybe just read to you from Exodus 19, where that happens. I mean, we, we, we read it now in 1 Kings, how um, God brought all, all those three things. In verse 18, it says, Mount Sinai, that's Mount Horeb's other name, uh, was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. And smoke billowed up, and it was like smoke, the smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently, and there was sound of a mighty trump, trumpet louder and louder. And when uh, Moses spoke, and then Moses, then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. So can you see that the parallels between what they experienced? You know, very much the same thing. They experienced God in. And yeah, I just want to mention. I mean, it says. This mighty wind came that was so strong that it broke the rocks. And it says, but God was not in the wind. Now, that doesn't mean the wind wasn't from God. You know, there are very few who can actually produce a wind that can break rocks. You know, the wind, God produced the wind. But whereas Elijah want, wanted God to come in judgment, the fire, the wind, the earthquake, all of those are typical examples of when God comes in judgment. God was saying, no, I'm going to come in a different way. Don't put me in a box. You want me to come in judgment, but I want to come in mercy. I want to come as a gentle whisper. I want to bring a word of mercy. Um, also, both Moses and Elijah hid from the power of God in, the clef, in a cave with a cleft of a rock. In um, Exodus 33 verse 22, it talks about how God says to, to Moses, you know, no one can see me and live, but yeah, I'll put you in the cleft of this rock and I'll hold my hand over you and I'll pass by you. And then I'll take my hand away and you can sort of see the afterglow, but you, you can't see my face. Okay? And it's interesting, Elijah goes to the very same mountain and also goes to, cave is a more general word than, than cleft, but it can also mean a hole or a cleft. It might have been the very same cleft that Moses hid in when the Lord passed by him. And I was saying this morning that that represents Jesus. The only way we can see God is if we have a rock in which we can hide. It's interesting. God tells Elijah, go out of the cave because I'm about to pass by. That's in verse 11. He only, but he doesn't go out immediately. And good for him he doesn't go out immediately because that, <laughs> that wind that ripped the rocks apart would have ripped him apart as well. And that's how our relationship with, with God is. God is so powerful. He's so powerful that in a very real sense, He's dangerous to us. Imagine how a father must feel who loves his children so much that he just wants to be with them. But if he hugs them, they'll die because he's holy and they're not. And, and, and you know, God has this... This, this almost this, this battle inside of himself, this, this challenge, this dilemma, because on the one hand, he's so holy, he's dangerous to us because we're not holy. On the other hand, he loves us so much, he just wants to be near us. But to be near us would, would harm us. So how does God satisfy his holiness and his love at the same time? And we have a similar problem. 
Because on the one hand, God is so beautiful to us that we just want to be with Him when we really see Him for who He is. But on the other hand, He's so scary to us that we just want to run away from Him when we really see Him as He is. It's like the moth and the flame. We see the flame and it's beautiful and we want to, be, we want to go closer. But how can we safely get close to the flame without being consumed? And the answer is, we need a rock in which we can hide. And that rock for us is Christ. There's this beautiful hymn that I quoted this morning as well. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. And... Um, <clears throat> Here already you're starting to see that Elijah's life is part of the divine drama that has meaning and reflects Moses' life on some level. In other words, it reflects the past. But already you're starting to see it's also reflecting the future. Both Moses and Elijah were on the same mountain, maybe the very same cave and cleft, when God passed by them. And he uses exactly the same word there, even in the Hebrew. God passed by. He says, says to Moses, hide in the cleft of this rock, you know, and I'll pass by you. And, and he says to, to, um, to Elijah, come out to the mouth of the cave. I'm about to pass by you. I'm about to pass by you. Exactly the same thing. See, God, God wants to reveal himself to us. God is always more eager to give to us uh, what we need and want than we are to receive it. Let me just um, say this because I, I feel the Holy Spirit impressing it on my heart. There's some of you this evening, and you really need to hear this, who need to hear that God is more eager to forgive you than you are to repent. God is more eager to forgive you your sin than you are to repent of it. And you're sitting here and you're having this battle in your heart, the struggle. Now, is God, does God love me, you know? Can I draw near to Him? Do I even want to draw near to Him? I'm feeling so bad and things are wrong, you know, and I'm, I'm letting God down. I feel like I, you know, when, when I feel like Elijah. I feel like when I, <laughs> you know, one of the other things, both Moses and, 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 and Elijah, when they do approach God's presence, they hide their faces. They hide. They, 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 they avoid looking directly at God. Elijah take his, takes his cloak and he pulls it over his face. He pulls it over his head and over his face. And, and some of you feel like that with God. You feel like, God, I want to come into your presence, but when I do, I want to pull my cloak over my face because, God, I feel so unworthy. I feel so ashamed, actually. I feel there's something wrong with me. <clears throat> and if you do this evening, I want to tell you that God is more eager to forgive you than you are to repent. God is more eager to forgive you your sin than you are to repent of it. I just want you to close your eyes right now, just for a moment. Let's respond to that. And if, if that resonates with you, if that touched the nerve and, 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 and you sometimes feel like that, then just bring whatever it is that's keeping you away from God. Just bring it to the Lord, just in a minute or so, in your own words, and say, God, I bring it to you. I repent of it. Please forgive me.
Yes, Father God, we, we just, Lord, we're sorry for letting things, Lord, that we've done wrong and, and the guilt and the shame that comes from it, Lord, stand between us and you. And we just come and, and we repent, Lord. We remind ourselves that you are a loving Father, that you, live us, that you love us more than we realize, that you love us more than we understand, that, we, that you love us more than we deserve, that you love us more than we love you. Thank you that you are such a father. And, and we just want to set aside, Lord, those things, those sins that we've allowed to come between us and you. We just want to lay them aside, cast them aside. Lord, and, and not only the sins, Lord, but the sinfulness, Lord, the self-centeredness, Lord, and the pride and the self-pity. Like, like Elijah, Lord, we just want to cast it aside and say, Lord, we want to come to you. Thank you that you forgive us. Amen. So, <clears throat> both Moses and Elijah also had their commissions renewed and were sent back to their task. God says to Elijah, go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. You see, so often, you know, I was saying this morning how Elijah was depressed. He was, he was really depressed. He, he, I mean, he was sitting there under the broom tree saying, God, I want to die. You just take my life. You know, I want to die. I don't want to live anymore. Um, and one of the reasons was he had a, a wrong expectation. He, he had a plan, <clears throat> and it seemed like his plan was working perfectly, but the results wasn't what he had planned. Everyone in Israel didn't repent. All his the spectacular miracles that God used him to do, it didn't change everyone's hearts. You know, it's the fire, the earthquake, the wind. It, it didn't change, actually change people's hearts. And that was, a, that was God's whole point to him. What's needed is not all these spectacular signs alone. They alone cannot change people's hearts. They alone cannot penetrate people's hearts. All that they can do is they can, they can destroy. They can bring judgment. There's only one thing that can penetrate hard hearts. The still small voice. The still small voice. And he says, you, with your heart that's also been hardened. Because he sort of accuses God. Lord, I've been zealous for you. I've been sort of fulfilling my side of the deal. You know, where are you? <laughs> why, why don't you act? Why don't you, you know, fix things? You know, his heart was just as hard, and he needed to hear. I mean, that's why he pulled his cloak over his head. He realized what was going on in his heart. His heart had become hard. He was full of self-pity, full of pride, full of accusation. I mean, that's why he says, I, I alone am left. I mean, that's a blatant lie. He knows that Obadiah told him twice, you know, that there were 100 prophets that he hid in two caves in the previous chapter. His own heart had become hardened. If God had come in the wind and the fire and the earthquake of judgment, Elijah himself would not have survived unless God had put him in the cleft of the rock, as he had. So often what we most want is what we least need. And we don't realize it. And God in His grace doesn't give us what we ask for. Because if He did, we'd be in trouble. And He knows it. 
And Elijah needed that still small voice to come in and softly, gently penetrate his own hard heart and to come out in repentance. And God was saying, but that's what the others need as well. Now go back. I'm recommissioning you. I'm renewing your, your commission. Go back the way you came. I'm not going to do things as you planned it. Because your plan is not a good plan. So often we're disillusioned, we're depressed when God doesn't act the way we want Him to. I, I've been reading the, the Narnia series with, with my kids, uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. And sort of an allegorical, hypothetical question. You know, he, he liked sort of animal um, worlds that he created. So he, so he asked himself as a Christian the question, you know, this animal world that I created, what would it be like if Jesus entered that world and he created Aslan the lion? Very interesting story. But there's this constant refrain <clears throat> in the Chronicles of Narnia that comes up in a, quite a few of the books where they say, he's not a tame lion. He's not a tame lion. God is not a tame God. You can't domesticate him. You can't figure him out, and you can't control him. And his plan is not necessarily your plan. And the way he does things is not necessarily the way you want him to do things. But the way he does it is better. Um, so both Moses and Elijah were the, were the object of God's special care at their death. In Deuteronomy 34, we read about how Moses died and no one buried him. God took care of him. And in 2 Kings 2, we know the, the whole thing of the chariots of fire when Elisha was walking with him. And um, the chariots of fire came down and picked Elijah up and whisked him off into heaven. We're never actually told, you know, that, that Moses is buried. And then both Moses and, and, and Elijah were concerned with um, the covenant God, God had made with his people. <clears throat> Moses, the Ten Commandments, the covenant. Um, Elijah says they've, they've forsaken the covenant. Now, yeah, here's, here's the main point I want to make. Both Moses and Elijah received the word of the Lord in a very special way. In Exodus, let me just read that to you. Exodus 24, <clears throat> verse 12 and 15, it says the following. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I've written for their instruction. And then verse 15 said, then Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. Strictly speaking, Moses was the first guy that used a tablet to download stuff from the cloud. <clears throat> but, but there's a, these two tablets of the Ten Commandments, which God wrote with his own finger, with his own finger in, in, in the stone, the commandments of God, the law of God, the word of God. <clears throat> Elijah... With Elijah, God takes it a step further. It's not commandments written with the finger of God in tablets of stone. It's a gentle whisper. It's a still, small voice. The sound of a gentle whisper. 
And we see the fulfillment of that. Firstly, we see it in the New Testament, in, in the life of Jesus. And I'm going to close with this. I'm not going to get through everything I wanted to say. But um, I think this is where God wants me to land. I'm just going to read this to you. It's in Matthew 17. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. See? Mountain again. <coughs> there he was transfigured before, their, before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Whoa. The very two people we've been speaking about, Moses and Elijah. After uh, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. <laughs> Mark says he said this because he didn't know. He was like babbling, you know. P Peter had foot-in-mouth disease, you know. Um, you know, it was always ready, fire, aim, Peter, you know. He always spoke by, before, he, before he thought about it. So, um, In verse 5 it says, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, same as with Moses, the cloud on the mountain, um, This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. In other words, what that's telling us is that gentle whisper, that still small voice that Elijah heard that touched his heart so much, the embodiment, the epitome of it, is Jesus. God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Here you have on the mountain, the two guys who went up on a mountain to see the face of God, to hear the voice of God, to experience the presence of God. The two guys who God attended to at their death, and you know, one was taken up in the chariot of, of fire, you know, they come back. Now we understand why God you know, gave such special care, you know, at their death. Because he was planning to send them back. Now he sends them back again to a mountain. Moses representing the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Elijah representing the prophets, the law and the prophets. The Old Testament, the word of God. And with them as witnesses, God the Father speaks. Like he did to Moses, like he did to Elijah. And he says, not listen to Moses, he wrote the first five books of the Bible. Or listen to Elijah, he represents the prophets. What does he say? He says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. He's the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. And he's, he's not an earthquake, mighty wind, burning, devouring, fire, word of judgment. It's the still small voice. At his first coming, the still small voice, the gentle whisper, the word of grace that is so gently penetrates through our psychological armor, gets right inside of us and changes our hearts, transforms our hearts, softens our hard hearts 
like he did for Elijah. But th that's not the end of it. In uh, 2 Corinthians, I just want to end with this scripture. If I can find it. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It says in verse, i read to you from verse 5. Let me read from verse 4. Such confidence as this is ours in Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything of ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? How, how does this still small voice, how does Jesus accomplish this still small voice speaking to our heart, whispering, this gentle whisper towards our heart. What he does there, um, and, and, and this, this scripture is so often misinterpreted. We often say that the letter kills and the spirit gives life. So, you know, the letter, scripture, the Bible, that kills. But prophecy, you know, that comes by the spirit, that gives life. That's completely what it's not saying. What it's contrasting is not the written word versus the prophesied word. What it's contrasting is the word of the old covenant written in tablets of stone, the letter written in tablets of stone, with the word of the new covenant written on tablets of heart by the Spirit. That's what it's contrasting. In other words, the ultimate form of the gentle whisper that penetrates our hearts. God is saying that, that true change cannot be from the outside in, written on tablets of stone that you have to work into your heart. I have to come with my spirit, the finger of God, and write with my spirit that word on the tablets of your heart. Through a gentle whisper, get it into your heart. Because where religion is attempt to change from the outside in, Christianity is changing from the inside out. It's not like the wind, this massive wind can come and whip you into shape. Or this fire can burn you into shape. Or this, this earthquake can shake up your life and shake it into place. God says, that's all from the outside in. It doesn't work. What you need is a gentle whisper on the inside that changes you from the inside out. That changes your very heart. That change, changes what you want. So that you actually want to obey God. So you actually want to know God. And that's why he can say in verse 18 of 1 Kings 19, I have reserved for myself. 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. With my gentle whisper, which is not as spectacular as you'd like it to be, Elijah, I have reserved for myself a remnant. And God always reserves a remnant. And those who are the remnant are those who, whose hearts have been penetrated by that still small voice, by Jesus himself.
I just want to encourage you tonight. The way to become part of God's divine drama, the way to become, to, to be like Elijah, whose life, without him even realizing it, reflected the past of Moses, but also reflected the future of Jesus, is by allowing that still small voice to penetrate our hearts and to change us from the inside out. And that still small voice to lead us without us even realizing it, like it was leading Elijah, imperfect though he was, feeling sorry for himself, lying, accusing God of not doing his bit, imperfect though he was, God's still small voice was leading him along, along in a life that we can now look back on and say, wow, it, not, it didn't only reflect the past of Moses, it reflected the future of Jesus. And our lives can do the same. Let me just give you one example. I want to close with this. Marriage. Paul talks about marriage in Ephesians 5. And he says, he talks about husband who's, who's the head and must love and the wife who, who, who must submit. And then he says, but I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. In other words, husband and wife are supposed to live out this drama, this parable of Jesus and the church. In other words, marriage like Tim Keller says, is gospel reenactment. It's gospel reenactment. Through our marriage, we are living out the realities, the truths of Jesus and the church and the love, this unlikely, spectacular love between Jesus and the church. We're living it out. Like one, one guy that I, that I read said, we must live lives that demand the gospel explanations. We must live lives that demand the gospel explanations. And the only way we can do that is if the still small voice penetrates our hearts. You cannot change from the outside in to live that kind of life and be part of God's drama. You can only do it from the inside out. God has to do it from the inside out. Are you allowing him to do it? You don't have to be perfect for him to do it. God knows Elijah wasn't. Moses wasn't either. You just have to seek God. Let's stand. <clears throat> I just want you to close your eyes where you're standing. And... Um, We, we often ask God for all kinds of stuff. And um, we like the spectacular. I like the spectacular. So we often ask for that most. But let's tonight ask for something that's not spectacular. Let's ask for that gentle whisper. Let's ask for that still small voice. Let's ask for that change on the inside. Not only for ourselves, but for our colleagues, for our families for our friends. But they need more than fire from heaven. I mean, if God wants to send fire from heaven, praise God. I'm the first to say, yes, bring it on, Lord. <laughs> I'd like some of that too. <laughs> but I know that's not going to ultimately change people's hearts. So let's ask for ourselves first, but then for, the, for those that, that are in our circle of influence, let's ask for that still small voice, voice that gentle whisper. 
just want you to ask for, um, in your own heart, in your own words. I'm just going to give you a minute or two. Father God, we just come and bring our hearts to you, Lord. Lord, and we know, Lord God, that as human beings, our, heart tend, our hearts tend towards hardness. But we thank you, Lord, that you have ways of softening our hard hearts, just like you did with Elijah. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you'll just come with your gentle whisper, your word of grace, and come and speak it into our hearts. Let us see Jesus again as the ultimate embodiment of your word of grace. And listen to him. Let us, let us see him, Lord, in all his glory, in all his splendor, and giving all of that up for us. Let us see him, Lord, loving us. Lord, not just at, a, at, at the cost of, uh, at, the, at the thread of his life, like, with, like Elijah, but at, at the cost of his life. They were trying to kill Elijah, but they did kill Jesus. And they killed him for me. They killed him for us. In a very real sense, we killed him. He died for our sins. Lord, let us see Jesus like that, dying for us. And let that encourage us. I just, I just feel that there are some people here this evening who are, who are sort of discouraged and who need a sort of renewing of their commission and, and need God to send them back to their task. And they, they've sort of lost hope. They've sort of lost, um, lost their ability to go on. Something's wrong. You don't even necessarily know what it is. And, and you've been asking, like Elijah, for the fire and the earthquake and the, and the wind. And God says, is saying to you tonight, just, just come and just experience. Just hear the gentle whisper. Just hear the gentle whisper. And if that's you tonight, I just want you to open up your heart and just, just hear God's gentle whisper to you. And allow it to soften your heart. Allow it to soften your heart. Yes, Lord God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your gentle whisper. I just speak your blessing over all your saints. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with each of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.